Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Campionato di calcio italiano Italian football podcast. As you can tell, these aren't the sweet Irish tones of Mr. Quinn Clancy anymore, who's covered for me over the past two weeks whilst I've been plagued by poor French internet and a bit of man flu too. I'm going to show I'm back with a bit of a stuffy voice, a horse throat, and uh, still some recording issues. But hopefully we can push through them tonight and won't have any problems. I have brought two guys along with me to ease us through the pain. The first one adds a bit of class to the show. It's a man that we haven't seen in quite a while, though undoubtedly you'll all remember him. It's Mr. Ogo Silla. Hello, Connor. Thanks uh, for having me. Uh, yeah, uh, I feel like you may have passed on your call. I have a bit of a case of the sniffles myself, but uh, it's good to be back on the pod. Yes, it's great to have you back on. And the other man, the other man who seems to be saving us here, for once we can say he, he merits his 25-word long intro that he has demanded. He's the person that wants to be spoken of have his name etched into the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's a self-proclaimed legend, Nicholas Carroll. Thanks for that, Connell. Here I was for weeks on end worrying about you in the French wilderness and then I get that kind of intro, but no, I'm happy to be back. And I also have a sniffle, but not because I'm sick, but because I just ate some curry. So, Well, what the listeners don't know is that we've been trying quite a while to get this podcast working. So you, you have been our saviour, so I'm, I'm being very nice to you right now. Yes, well, let's continue. I've been very nice to you over the past 24 hours, so don't forget <laughs> that. And of course, in the, in the past 24 hours, you and me, we've both been talking about Roma, which is who we're going to start off with this podcast. We're going to jump right into action, no missing about. We were talking about the first few games of the season, whether they have changed by any means, if they're, if any of their plaudits are merited. One thing it's sure to say is that they've had quite a stuttering start so far, both in the league and in Europe. And despite scoring a lot of goals, they've seemingly completely underperformed unless Francesco Totti is on the pitch. And they've often left it for the 40-year-old to save them at the last second. This does lead me to my first question of the night, which, Nick, I will come to you for. It's 
I'm asking you, is it a case that Roma actually need Totti and will 100% struggle without him, which is what we've come to believe so far? Or is there a much deeper-rooted problem that can't be fixed long-term by Il Capitano? It's definitely an issue that um, I, mean, I guess Roma's had in the, in the back of their minds that was coming for years on end, you know, that reliance on Totti. And even now, as you said, even though he hasn't played in terms of... Um, majority minutes but he has come on on a number of occasions and almost saved them so well I don't think there's a, a major reliance on him as a team at the moment um, definitely in terms of um, I mean they should they shouldn't be looking at to a 40 year old to save them on the field really um, and that's a long-running problem for them so it's it's a hard one for them and it was always going to be a difficult one to to get over and it will be even harder when he does leave uh, after this season so it's a it's definitely a cultural thing that the club needs to overcome and it possibly might take a few years but you know in saying that i mean they i mean offensively wise speaking about totti i mean you can say even without him they are they are creating chances um you can't really take that away from them they they match real madrid across the top 5 european leagues as the with the most shots per game so uh, in terms of chances created they're up there with the best in europe Obviously, there are a lot of concerns in defence and then also actually finishing their chances, which is, I guess, a whole other element to it. But, um, you know, there are those positives. But to me, it just kind of seems like the same really inconsistent Roma to me. Um, if you actually look at where they were last season too, they're pretty much in almost the exact same position. Last season, they had four, uh, four wins and two draws and this season, four wins and one draw. Um and last season, 17 goals scored, 9 against, compared to 16 goals scored and 9 against this season. And when you can take into consideration that this year they've had 5 penalties, so you could almost say it's even more erratic this season. So um, I think it all kind of comes down to a, a big cultural shift that is happening in Rome, and it's uh, it could take quite a few years to properly get over. Mm. Well, you talked about missed chances, and we will get to that in a minute. But first, I'll go, truly, this speaks something. This speaks volumes of their transfer strategy. If they're selling the best players each year, but they're still relying on such a such a veteran figure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree with that. And yeah, it's it's. Uh, I've been saying it for for well, at least I, I'm maybe not saying it. I've been thinking it for quite some time that uh, uh, every single year, uh, or at least more or less every single year, uh, Roma do sell a big player and uh, Sabatini uses that money to bring in a, a host of new players. You know, usually pretty good ones, uh, although this the summer I'd argue that the defensive reinforcements are not really up to par, uh, up to scratch. Uh, but it, I think it says a lot, it definitely does say a lot that despite all those, uh, that huge t- uh, uh, player turnover, that uh, uh, Francesco Totti is still so important and still uh, winning so many points for the club. Um, it, it's definitely going to be hard to replace him, uh, even on the pitch, uh, let alone in the dressing room. But that after, in the last in the last four chance windows, no single player has been able to, uh, to, to come out and truly supplant him. Uh, in the sense that uh, he, he, he's winning games with Roma by himself. Ogo, just on that, obviously, as we've discussed, it is a big cultural shift for a club. And it has happened in the past when you look at uh, Alessandro Del Piero with Juventus, but obviously in very different circumstances where it was kind of almost, um, I guess you could say Juventus quit cold turkey. However, Roma, it's been an ongoing thing and it's been almost drawn out. So, you know... I, I'm interested to know because I'm I'm not really sure myself how you know 
what do you think is the best way for a club to actually deal with it? Is it best to just kind of cut it straight away and let the team get on with it? Or is it better to fade them out almost as Totti has? I think ideally you, you want it to be as uh, as quick and as painless as possible um, with the emphasis on painless. But uh, it's more or less a case-by-case basis given uh, which club is it and uh, who the player is. Uh, but I think the most important part uh, has to do with the coach uh, and uh, how much uh, how much support he has in the boardroom. Uh, one thing is that you need your coach to have legitimacy. I think that, that, that that's the most important thing that, that a coach must have in order to to, to impose his uh, his style of play uh, and it, it, to impose his philosophy and uh, and his authority within the, the rest of the players. Because at the end of the day, because even though a new coach comes into a team, he still has to earn the respect of his players. And um, that's and that's how you you phase out very uh, uh, very important, very emblematic players like Totti. If um, if a new coach comes in with very little experience, and on top of it, if he's not winning games, then it's going to be very hard to uh, to make said player accept the fact that he's on the bench. And I think it's going to make it very hard for the dressing room to also accept that. Um, and uh, this, is, this is something that we've seen, you know. So throughout throughout the history of the game, really, um, I think if you just go all, uh, all the way back to uh, to Ari Gosaki uh, at Milan, when he comes from Parma, he's uh, he's, he's he's more or less a no name coach. Um, but Berlusconi absolutely wants him because he impressed him during during a Coppa Italia game when Parma beat Milan. And uh, the first thing Ari Gosaki does is that he benches he benches uh, Marco Van Basten. Um, the players don't like it. Uh, Van Basten obviously is not happy. Um, then they, they they almost stage a kind of mini revolt where I don't want to say they, they throw the game, but they certainly don't don't give it their all. And it it's down to and it comes down to Berlusconi coming down in the dressing room and telling the players, okay, uh, you guys are here. I don't know how much longer you guys are going to be here, but this guy right here, the coach Ari Kosaki, he's the boss. I'm the boss, and he's going to stay. So get in get you get in line or, or leave. And I think that's. That's the most important part of it, and that's what it comes down to. The club has to support its uh, its coach when uh, when these decisions are made. Perfect said, Uncle. There is one extra added firepower that Roma do have, if we put Totti aside out of the equation. It's Edin Dzeko. He's played seven games. He's got five goals. Very good record. Seems to be putting Roma up in the league. One thing is, Nick, he's had about a million shots. This is the thing. Is, I mean, you look at the goal totals. I mean, sure, it looks like he's... Uh, he's doing really well, but in terms of chances in front of goal, he, he has. I talked about the Roma shots on goal before. Eden Dzeko averages more shots per game than anyone else in the top five European leagues. Anyone on more than Messi, I think he's second. So that's five point seven a game. And you look at those chances. I mean, that's that's the the biggest thing. Okay, fair enough. If you're in the position, have shots. Fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But. I think when you look at some of the misses he had, like you kind of look at that goal total and you think like what that actually could have been. So I don't know with with Jeko, uh, I think he just continues to underwhelm really. And um, despite his goals so far, I I haven't met a Roma fan that likes having him there or that thinks anything positive of him. Let's say so. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a hard, it's it's a weird one, particularly given that he has scored. Um, but I, I I don't rate him 
Uh, I mean, I guess maybe I rate him because I'm not a Roma fan in that case. But uh, I actually do quite like uh, Eden Dzeko, but I think he suffers from the fact that uh, I'm convinced that he's a, he's a, he's the type of striker who plays better when he has a partner up top as opposed to to um, to to being uh, to to playing the lone striker role. I don't think that's that uh, that's that's a role that's uh, that he enjoys or that's very um, that uh, that's very easy for him to score goals in. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, he's still a very useful player, and I think Spalletti uh, recognizes that. You know, l- last season when he was being lambasted left and right for his lack of scoring, and and, and rightfully so, uh, Spalletti was still defending him, even you know if he wasn't consistently playing him in the press, he was still backing him. He never gave up on him, and uh, this season he's uh, at, least, uh, at least at the start of the season he's been playing. Uh, I think Spalletti likes uh, the fact that he holds up the play. Uh, he likes the fact that uh, he, he he can he can use him as a focal point and a pivot for the other for the other wide forwards, uh, for especially for for Mohamed Salah. I think Mohamed uh, the fact that Mohamed Salah uh, scores so many goals, I don't think is a coincidence. Uh, and uh, because he has a player like uh, Edin Dzeko who can take so much pressure off him, who can allow him to to to, to buzz around him and can attract. Uh, the the other centre backs uh, to to open space up for for his teammates and uh, I th- I think that's very important and even tactically speaking uh, his ability to hold up the ball it allows the entire kind of the entire block to play higher up the pitch which obviously is very important for Spalletti at least on paper and with the way that you've just described that he plays Ogo you'd expect that an attacking lineup with Cheko Mohamed Salah Diego Perotti who can be easily substituted for Stefano Sharawi You'd expect that this team can survive without Totti, as we've been talking about. Yeah, in theory, on paper, you're absolutely right. But um, they're obviously the, the reality of the matter is that they're not putting in as many goals as for uh, it, the, the the ratio of goal scorers to chance chances created is, is not uh, could be much better. But uh, I think it's always more important to 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 make chances. I think that's the hardest part in football. Uh, finishing uh, it's, it's it's a matter it's a matter of form. And it's obviously a matter of quality as well. But uh, I think form has a lot to do with it, confidence, uh, and a whole lot of the factors. Um, so I, I think it's definitely much. It's much more promising that that at least the offensive mechanisms that uh, Spalletti has put into place are working. Oh, it's it's still certainly something to think about. Back when Jeko joined Roma and the scenes that the Roma fans were so desperate for a number nine that they tipped him as a next Latigo. Not to be. Well, we're going to move on very quickly as we have got to deal with time. So instead of talking about Inter, who Roma did beat two one at the weekend. We're going to move on to Napoli and Atalanta because we've had too much Inter in recent weeks, Nicholas. So, Napoli, they suffered a shock 1-0 defeat at the hands of Atalanta. It was a big shock indeed, no doubt, a blow. I want to know where we start here, guys. Do we start with whether it was a a poor Napoli side that we saw or was it just a a great Atalanta one? For me, I don't don't think... I mean, look, Atalanta obviously played great and nothing should be taken away from them. They deserved that completely. But... For Napoli, for me, it was just a bit of burnout, really. And it's the same kind of thing we did see occasionally last season. Uh, the fact is that uh, Sari obviously doesn't rotate that squad too much beyond that 11, uh, with the exception of probably Mertens. And, you know, he's done that all last season, and it seems to be the same uh, strategy he's taken this season as well. Um, obviously, he sees the quality with that first squad and wants to keep them going. And 
Look, they've just come off the back of a lot of games. Um, there was some midweek games in there, and then obviously with uh, Champions League, they've just come off the back of it as well. So, um, you know, th- this, these kind of games are always bound to happen for Napoli. Um, so I don't see it as a crisis. I think particularly the Italian media seem to jump on anything like this and see as the start of the end of the world for, for a club when they have a loss. But... No, I, to me, I don't know. It's it's just one of those games that happens, and for Napoli, I don't see it as a concern whatsoever. Because across the their entirety of the season, I I still think they're going to be a whole lot more consistent than the likes of Inter, AC, Fiorentina, and you know I think they'll probably coast to second place. Um, obviously, hoping that there's no injuries or anything to that first eleven. Certainly not a crisis, but definitely a, a hindrance to. And just to quickly touch on what you said then, last year they did an amazing job with injuries. So you'd hope that they do the same this year. The rotation, it's, as we said, we've had a listener even call in about it, saying that Sarah's rotation, it's just the 11 same men plus Mertens. Maybe they haven't got the players to always have this rotation, but they are going to get tired out soon. And it could be detrimental. And you have to add... When is Gabbiadini going to be given a proper chance? Is he allowed in this team? Does Sarri want him in his attack? I mean, that's yeah, that, that, that's definitely not a question. That's a very interesting one as well. Uh, the, the the first one about the rotation, I think, is just the fact that Sarri uh, Sarri's system is very particular. Uh, it's uh, his team plays in a very defined way and in a very effective way, obviously. Uh, so. If you change uh, if you change the core of it, which um, and the core being that midfield three, if you change it too much, then the the, the results and variations uh, are gonna uh, are gonna lead to to possibly more more unpredictable results. I think where where they're going to lack that that, that, that sort of consistency that that I think they, that that they have and that they definitely showed last season. Overall, are they gonna struggle with injuries? Uh, yeah, you could say you could say that that could happen, but just going off of last season where. Their medical staff was praised uh, throughout the season because they're, they're the team with the least injuries. Uh, you didn't mention that, so it, it would be surprising if uh, uh, if this season uh, it would become an issue. Uh, given that last season he was able to keep people fit, even though that they, they had to contend with the Europa League, so I wouldn't be too worried about that. As far as Gabi, uh, Gabbiadini is concerned, I think you know it kind of goes back to to the play style and uh, and the offensive mechanism of the team. Um, Milik is a player uh, like Higuain, uh, even though he was on the Sari, that, that Higuain kind of changed his game a bit. Um, Milik gets involved in the game uh, a lot more. He's uh, he, he's a bit more of a focal point. Uh, he has the ball uh, to feed uh, more so than Gabbiadini. Gabbiadini brings a more vertical style of play where he wants the ball into the space. He wants to to, to run onto it. He wants to run behind the defense. And, uh, there, there, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just that I think Sari prefers uh, his wide players to get more involved. And uh, in order for that to happen, then the center forward has to do more work off the ball and has to get involved into the play a, a, a lot more. So uh, I think, unfortunately, that's the issue with Gabbiadini. It's not that he's a poor player. It's just I think his style is not is not the, is not a favorite of Sadi's. You have to feel sorry for him. I'm sure many of our listeners have even seen the photo when he was subbed off for Milik, who went and scored just a few minutes later. His dreaded face sitting on the bench. You do. There is that almost pity. I don't want to say pity. It sounds like such a harsh word, but. You know, it, there was that expectation that with Higuain gone that he would step up to the plate, um, even with Milik coming in. 
and he did have a couple of chances. I mean, he has had some minutes, but he's failed to really impress. And um, yeah, it's a, a bit disappointing on that note. I'm sure um, he's disappointed and, and it's it's looking harder and harder each week for him to actually get back into into that squad in terms of being a first choice striker. So Milik very much seems to have a stranglehold on that now. So yeah, I, I, I do feel for the lad, but I mean, you can't really argue with the results. So. Oh, well, I know you'd certainly take him at AC Milan. You've said so yourself, but you'd have to wonder how Gabbiadini would do back at a place like Atalanta. With a, he's still young, 24 years old, and with a youth system like theirs, he's bound to get minutes. I mean, yeah, he's the, yeah, he, he would definitely play at Atalanta, and I think he would do well there. But he could do just as well at Milan. I don't really... Uh, I mean, barring Baca, uh, no striker really gets in front of him. Uh, you would say, well, then Baca is going to play every single game, obviously. But uh, I don't know. Um, I, I could see him at Milan. Uh, would he be a starter in front of Baca? I think um, probably not, if I'm being honest. Uh, but, you know, he wouldn't be a miles off. Uh, he, he's not a miles off worse than, than Carlos Baca is. At least I, I don't I don't think so. Not on paper, at least. Yeah, at Atlanta, he, he would at, at any club. I think he, he would do well, to be fair. But, uh, but, but you bring up uh, at least... You, you raised a good point of, of Atalanta's youth system, which I think you know does have to be praised because this is a club that uh, that do what they do very well, uh, and it's you know we we always uh, I, I think it's 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 always kind of hot topic issue, especially in recent years that maybe Serie A clubs don't uh, don't produce youngsters uh, at the same rate that they used to. And uh, and when they do make them, they don't necessarily get in, uh, in the eleven or on the bench. And uh, the fact that Atalanta, you know, maybe because it is Atalanta, they don't necessarily have another choice because they, they they can't spend the money. Uh, they they do play those kids, you know. And uh, when you compare it to Palermo, they they I can't imagine they have that much more money than Atalanta. But Palermo deci- uh, decides to put all their money in the scouting. Now, you know, that's not to say that. One of them is more virtuous than the other, but it's just it's just a different kind of philosophy, and uh, it's nice to see a club like Atalanta, just like Sassuolo. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Put faith in the youngsters and play them. Undoubtedly, it's been talked about a lot in the newspapers, and even by our own editor-in-chief, Connor Clancy, is from Kessie. He's had an amazing start so far, four goals, and he did pick up a suspension against Crotone. <laughs> of course, Italian media, there is, there is something about it where they will always uh, link him to a, a, a player from the same nation. He's been linked to Yaya Torre, the next Yaya Torre, of course, because he's Ivorian, much like when Dogbia must be the next Paul Pogba. But there's something special about him. You, you can say that for certain. Yeah, while it's early in the Serie A, he's certainly shown something special. Um, 19 years old, he's already got four goals and an assist to his name in six appearances. So, uh, showing an, a huge amount of promise, um, a big, strong midfielder. Um, he's He's got a, a big presence in front of the defence, but can also make those runs forward and really cause the defence some trouble. So, um, he's got quite a versatile game as well. So, a lot of promise there, but uh, as you said, I... I I can't stand when the media lay, put those labels on, like the 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 new Yaya Toure or the new Messi, the new Neymar. It just kind of just puts unnecessary pressure on young players. I'm sure them themselves want to actually, you know, define themselves as a player and not you know try and be someone else. So you know, a lot of promise, but I think you know it's a long way to go. And certainly in in just terms of attitude Gasparini has mentioned that there is a few issues there and he definitely has a lot of growing up to do with certain things but you know at 19 year old like anyone so a long way to go but certainly as you said a lot of promise you would hope at such an age that he hasn't got one of these mentalities as you said he's got a lot of growing up to do but there's a lot of players that show so much promise but don't realize the importance that they hold on their team and let it quite easily go to their head it's all too easy to point out a figure like Balotelli uh, that that's the I guess a worry for Atalanta in itself, the fact that he has made such an impact from that team. And obviously, Atalanta, with all due respect, is not a, a major club in Italy. So, you know, there is the danger that a youngster will get ahead of themselves and start looking towards their next big move to a you know, Milan or, you know, whoever it might be. So I think there's a lot of work there to just to kind of keep him on the keep his feet on the ground. So even just psychologically speaking, I think there's a lot of work to do there to ensure he's not only keeps having a positive impact on the field, but actually has a future. As you know, it would be good to see him actually spend a couple of years at Atalanta. A good structure to look at if you want to keep hold of your players is, of course, the swallows because Ogo. As you've already said there, they've already got a fantastic youth system when they've been promoted from Serie B. They've built themselves up. Now they're in Europa League and they're keeping hold of their key names. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, honestly, it's a, it's, a, it's a club that it, it took me a while to, to, to warm up to Sassuolo. Uh, you know, when the, um, Enzo Miseraca, formerly of this podcast, was, was the first to, to, to really champion their cause, to, to really champion that club. And I, I kind of almost kind of giggled at them. Uh, but they, they, they've shown... Uh, a lot of lasting power to still be in City A and to still be and, and to do very very well, you know, relative to the size of the club uh, and even relative to what you know their ambitions might have been uh, coming up from City B. You know, they, they they've climbed up the echelons of the of the football ladder to 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 become an established City A club, and I think that's very impressive. You know, they they 
they're making their first forays into Europe this season, uh, and and everything has been built on Italian youngsters uh, and and very talented ones at that, as as you mentioned, you know, uh, Domenico Berardi is just he's just one, is, you know, he's he's the big guy, the, the big star player there. So yeah, I think it's a club that that deserves so much praise for, for all the good work that they're doing and uh, and they have a fantastic coach uh, at the helm as well, obviously. Of course, their fans will be happy with all the progress they've made, but it hasn't been the most excellent a week, so I'm first a thumping in the Europa League and then uh, a turnaround against AC Milan. They were winning 3-1 and Milan come back and make it 4-3 out of nowhere. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a bit of a crazy game, honestly. When you look at the circumstances of the match, uh, Milan effectively what scored three goals in in little in little under ten minutes. You know, that's I think that that's more down to just absolute like fast and fury craziness more so than than some some sort of tactical mistake that uh, that Sassuolo that uh, that Di Francesco might have made. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I suppose that for once Milan fans can uh, can hold the bragging rights of a Sassuolo. Because you know, given the head-to-head of recent uh, recent matches between both those teams, uh, Sassuolo have certainly been the the ones that had the better of uh, of, of Milan. So uh, yeah, that's definitely something that uh, the Rossoneri fans can have a bit of cheer about. Um, I mean, off the back of that, as you said, it was a crazy game, and I don't think Sassuolo fans really should should lose too much heart over it. It's while it's a disappointing way to lose, obviously, I think they can still take a lot out of it. Um, not only that, but if you look at where they actually are. It, from the start of the season, if the Swallow fans had the chance to actually take where they are, both in the Serie A and in Europe, I think they'd probably take it. I mean, you look at the Serie A there, well, they've only got the nine points, but then you take into consideration the Pescara result, which was overturned. So that puts them to 12 points. So that would be four wins, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And while it was, yes, a, a somewhat of a heavy defeat uh, midweek in Europa but match week one they they beat uh, Athletic Club 3-0 and they are no strangers to European football they were quarterfinalists last year and they lost to the eventual winners in Sevilla so um, you know they're still doing some incredible things and particularly when you actually even look at some of AC Milan's goals I mean you know I don't think there's anything to be concerned about I think it was just kind of they lost their heads and they were possibly a bit burnt out from the midweek games, you know, conceding those goals in the space of whatever it was, about 10 minutes or so. So, you know, disappointing, but, you know, I don't think they should be too disappointed um, with the results. For a team that's had an incredible streak so far, it's, it's got to take an incredible goal to break them, which came from 18-year-old Locatelli. I, I feel so sorry for the kid, to be honest, because it's the worst possible thing for his career that he could have done, <laughs> scoring a wonder strike like that because now you just know the media is going to be all over him the fans are going to be asking him to be starting every match so uh it was a fantastic goal and credit to him like you know you can't take that away and that'll be obviously a precious moment for him but i do feel for him because there's that expectation already now because he can provide that kind of brilliance so it's uh it's one of those things that the media will run with it for a while and it'll be really interesting for me as to how Montella's gonna manage that he's another one of standout figures in Milan's youth academy there hasn't been much recently there's been a recent influx of them though it is leading to some bandwagoning it's fair to say 
it's a, I don't want to say it's coincidence, but it, it certainly looks like that uh, when you look at all the the players. You know, Locatelli is, is the newest one who's being talked about now. Even though a lot of I know a lot of Milan fans who've been uh, who've been clamoring for him to get into the team. Um, uh, Calabria certainly looks like he's got something about him. He, he certainly looks good at right back. Um, uh, People, you know, praising Decilio all of a sudden when you know he was probably one of the most criticized Milan players uh, all of last season. So I understand what you mean by by the whole bandwagoning thing. Um, I don't think we can now turn around and say that Milan have a great youth academy. Um, I think uh, Donnarumma is, in, is is the exception that proves the rule. Uh, Calabria, we still need to wait. Locatelli, just like Nick says, we definitely still need to wait with him. No, as much as I don't like to think Montolivo in the team, I think it would be absolutely crazy and incredibly unfair on, on such a young player to to all of a sudden uh, outcast the captain, put him in his position, expect him to uh, to produce week in, week out. You clearly haven't had a look at Twitter yet, Ogo. Claims that Milan have the best youth academy in Italy. <laughs> if not... <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's exactly why I saw that distinguished from Twitter. I, I closed it once I read that Donnarumma apparently changed the path of Joseph Bilicic's penalty with his mind. <laughs> He's telekinetic now, is he? Apparently so. <laughs> Would help quite a bit. I'm going to go back backtrack here a bit. There is a, a seemingly weird conundrum with Milan. Is the one year we're calling for they need better players, they need a, a greater investment so they can pull these great stars, but then all of a sudden they're forgetting about their youth academy and they have to implement your more young Italian players. And now that they're implementing more young Italian players, you've got fans calling for better and more expensive stars to make the team bolster. Where, where do we find the right balance? When will people finally be happy? I think people will be happy when they see their teams win every week. Uh, I think it really kind of boils down to that. And for, I mean, it's not... It's, it's not... Uh, um, point of view I really like to adhere to I think there, there there's a lot more beyond the result I think uh, the, the most important thing in football is is you know it's, it's kind of what your team uh, brings you you know kind of like the, the emotions that, that, that the team can, can bring out of you you know if I just take Milan for instance you know there, there's absolutely no hope for Milan to, to win a Scudetto anytime soon but I think fans will be happy if they see a team who fights uh, who, uh, who 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 plays their hardest, who tries their hardest, and that has an, a team that has a sort of identity, a recognizable uh, playing style, and uh, games like the Sassuolo one, you know, where, where where you come from behind after being three one down and win it four three, you know, that I think that's what fans want uh, uh, ultimately, at least. If that if that's not ultimately what they want, it's the kind of feelings that that last, it's the kind of games that you remember. Because if you look at Milan's past seasons, uh, the, the the last three years, you know, I challenge any Milan fan to tell me what memorable game the the, the team has played. And I think that you know, at the end of the day, that uh, that that's what uh, that's that sort of boils down to. That, that that's why we love football for those for those uh, for those games that we remember, for those games that you know we can we can talk about together. And, about. It would be. Could it be fair to argue that this was the first memorable game in a while? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say the the other one was uh, 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 was that Parma game. The was it five four five three with the when uh, when Jeremy Menez scored that back heel. You know, I would say that's that's that was a fairly memorable game in a fairly 
forgetful season. <laughs> so, so the pain is too much, Ogo. <laughs> the, yeah, the, that was a very painful season, absolutely. And uh, at least uh, personally, that's the only game that I care to remember. So, but yeah. Well, they're certainly they're, they're on the step to recovery at the moment. You think Montella's going to get that hope, that time? Something that Mihailovic certainly didn't. Certainly that many of the coaches before him certainly haven't had. You were even talking at the start of this podcast, Ogo, about how. The team has to give faith in the coach. I think it's going to come down to that. Um, Montolivo, uh, good lord. Uh, <laughs> Montella is <laughs> Montella is uh, he's uh, he, he he he's a coach to he, he looks like a Milan coach. You know, I think he talks the talk. Uh, is he going to be able to walk the walk? That's going to be dependent on the on how much support he gets on the boardroom. And uh, obviously, you know, Berlusconi is going to be out, and they're going to be new owners um, who are going to be uh, who are supposed to be stepping in. So we'll have to know how that happens. Uh, what that happens? Are they going to want their own man in? Is, is Montella going to stay? And that's why results uh, from here up to uh, uh, up till January are going to be very important for for Montella. But uh, personally, I would very much like him to stay in the job. I think he can he can definitely do something. Uh, he doesn't. Unfortunately, he doesn't really have the tools to do anything extraordinary. But you know, uh, given what, what the club has been going through, I, I think uh, even uh, visible minor changes, I think, uh, should count for a lot uh, because the the, the the players, the the quality of the players is not really there. He had to come in uh, with no one helping him uh, with, with, uh, in the transfer window. The, I mean, you know, I'd argue that there was no transfer plan to, to begin with. So uh, he, he definitely has his work cut out uh, cut out for him, and he's going to need uh, uh, something like a minor miracle to, to, to really get anything out of this team. Ogo, was that a bit of uh, wishful thinking there? Montalivo, captain coach of Milan. Oh, good lord, do not <laughs> say that. <laughs> Montalivo player coach would be just about the worst thing that could happen to this club. <laughs> No, but um, I certainly agree um, with you with regards to Montella because, you know, as a neutral, and by neutral I mean an Inter fan, I guess. So I do always think I am a bit biased when I say this, but when I look at Milan's games, I mean, that you know, while they've got the results and fair play to them, they've managed to get the results when they're playing not all that well, really. I mean, there's not a lot to like about what they're doing. Um, their defence has a lot of question marks. They're conceding the fifth highest amount of shots per game. So only Cagliari, Palermo, Pescara and Crotone are uh, conceding more shots per game than them. So, um, and, you know, even even the goals that they're scoring, I don't think, um, you know, there's a lot of structure is to in with regards to their offense. Um, even you look at the goals against Sassuolo, you got, you got Bonaventura's shot, kind of a solo shot, I guess you could say, which got a deflection. You've got a penalty that wasn't really a penalty. And then you've got a Locatelli wonder strike. So that's three of the goals there. So, And again, it was in somewhat of a crazy period in that game. So, And a lot of the goals have been kind of through that Niang backup partnership, I guess, um, you know, counter-attacking using their, their pace. So again, you know, credit because they have been getting the results. But I think the thing and you mentioned there is that Montella doesn't really have the tools to really provide that amount that, uh, a great amount of success with this team and just as they have got some pleasing results uh, recently I think just as easily um, they're going to go through a few dark periods this season as well and when that happens Milan really needs to give Montella the time because he doesn't have the tools as you mentioned to really do too much so there are going to be some 
some off periods this season and you know I I think for me personally I think if they were to sneak a Europa spot I think that that's actually a good result for them because you know I'm not convinced by the way they're playing I want a final point on Milan I want a prediction from both of you is Montella going to stay until the end of the season how long will he make it I mean I would hope so Uh, I think things would have to I mean, obviously, these things are very difficult to predict in, in football, but things would have to go really, really badly uh, for, uh, for for um, for the new owners to to to, to want to get him out, uh, and uh, things would have to be dire and uh, borderline catastrophic for for the current owners to to take him out uh, even before uh, January rolls around. Uh, I think he'll stay for the year at the very least, and then I think uh, the situation might be uh, reassessed by, by the new owners. I'd agree. I think he will last out the season, but then, yeah, as you said, uh, you know, they might be fishing around to see what else is out there at the end of that when they reassess. Um, but you know, ideally, they really need to be looking long-term and not so short-term, which a lot of Serie clubs are unfortunately doing these days. Well, I'm, I'm certainly glad to see that optimism is rife on the show. It's certainly a change of air on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be optimistic when you're talking about Milan, or either Milan, <laughs> for that matter. We're going to try, we're going to try. Well, we're going to go from talking about one Milan coach to an ex-one, Sinise Mihailovic and his Torino side, which beat Fiorentina 2-1 at the weekend. Another shock victory, or you could say shock, but in the state Fiorentina, or I'm not so sure. But another big victory, nonetheless, against another considerable big side after they beat Roma 3-1 the other week. Torino this game, certainly, obviously, as they won, the better side. Completely rendered Fiorentina null, almost. Yeah, definitely. It's been the, the Torino's got this air of uh, enthusiasm and excitement about the way they're playing, and it's definitely really exciting to watch uh, I guess as somewhat of a neutral fan so um, you know particularly I guess in in offense in attack um, you've got Andrea Bellotti and uh, Falke who have um, been in incredible form and they're doing some really cool things so um, you know that I guess they really gave some life to that game because otherwise it was kind of struggling for it so it's been really good to see Torino um, starting so well this season, particularly given the whole Joe Hart element in that there is a lot of English attention on the club and, in a broader sense, on the Serie R. So it's really good that um, hopefully those fans, the English fans, are actually watching the games and actually watching Torino play because, it's as I said, it's exciting football. So hopefully it kind of sparks a bit more enthusiasm about the Italian game and possibly puts to bed some of the old... Um, the old kind of uh, assumptions about Italian football, let's say. Well, certainly, because the defence isn't too, isn't too strong, it seems. But while for the past few seasons we've seen Torino start strong and finish not so much, much, much weaker side, it actually seems this season that they're building upon that, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think um, I, I was very sceptical about Torino because, uh, you know, I think, it's um, we, we shouldn't forget that uh, both Maximovic uh, and Glick uh, left in the summer. That, that, that that's your central defensive partnership. So uh, I was wondering uh, how many goals they were going to ship out. Um, but yeah, I mean uh, it, they're doing very well and offensively they've added some really interesting parts of the team. And I think that's the key, really. Um, uh, they're, they're they're able to to worry teams a bit more. So so teams are a bit more cautious about them. They don't necessarily. 
uh, they, they don't necessarily just uh, go out them not, uh, without having to worry about uh, what's on the other side of them. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, Mihalovic got a bad rap at, uh, at Milan. I don't think he was a great coach. Uh, you know, I think he, 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 was, he, was, he was an average coach. He's fine. He was fine. But uh, he, 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 was, um, he, he knows how to organize a team. You know, and I think uh, at Torino, his style of management uh, is is quite good, and he 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 steps into a team that was very well drilled tactically already when uh, when Ventura was there. So now uh, he's just there and adding a bit of that spirit, a bit of that fire, a bit of that uh, hunger, and uh, yeah, and I think it's it's bearing fruit. And as we witnessed, they were a ripped apart, very poor Fiorentina team. Can we say more than poor? They they've lost something, haven't they? They've they've lost a bit of heart. Yeah, it's it's Fiorentina's just. It's it's even hard to talk about them for me because there's not much there. I do, there's no heart. There's no spirit. There's not a lot to what they're doing. It would be it in offense, in attack, or in defense. Even off the ball, they're not very aggressive. They just kind of hold off. It's it's very odd. It's missing a lot of life, as you mentioned. There's no heart there. So you know they're, they're supposed to be a team that's possibly challenge, well, certainly challenging for Europe, but possibly off the back of last season, challenging for a Champions League position. Um, and when you consider they're only averaging, what, 10.7 shots per game, that's only better than Cagliari, Empoli and Palermo. That's a serious problem. they really a team of that quality. And, it does, you know, there are quality players there. They really should be causing a lot bigger threat than that. It, it is concerning. Um, and, you know, it's hard to even put your finger on what's what's actually gone wrong. It seems like it's um, ever since the start of last season. Obviously, they went on that run, but since then, even the end of last season, they just dropped off, um, and they haven't kind of shown themselves since. So they've done the Austin Powers, Nick. They've lost their mojo. Indeed, yes. I mean, yeah, it's Fiorentina it, it, is a very strange team because because uh, in the Europa League, you know, they they, uh, they scored five goals and they had a big victory, and, and it looked like it possibly might have been a turning point, uh, even. I mean, even if you know you wasn't based on uh, uh, on many games, but uh, it seems like like you both mentioned that the, the team is just is just in a rut, and and that even uh, uh, since uh, since last season, uh, where where after all the expectations of possibly a title challenge, a scudetto challenge, um, they, they they just they, they weren't able to push on, and uh, I think uh, the disappointment. Uh, with the fan base who has so many so many high expectations uh, kind of crashing crashing back down to earth um the disappointment with Paulo Souza who who tactically looks like he's completely lost now and uh, struggling to to, to find the, the the right organization and the right set the, the right setup for his team um yeah it's just it's just a series of uh, disappointment that that sent that looks to have sent the team uh, spiraling down especially mentally more so than the, than, than on the pitch uh, I think that's uh, that's what plagues this team more than anything else. Just this, a crisis in confidence. There's been there's been many coaches, obviously much talk of coaches on the chopping block throughout the past season, even so far in this season. I've been talk of Paulo Sosa being on it for quite some time. Even talk of him wanting to quit. Even mysteries being made up by the media when he's looking for a new home in Florence. Is this going to impact him? The way that he hasn't been able to get this team together hasn't been able to inspire this confidence back into them. Something that's just so void. It's definitely a good question. Uh, his uh, his situation is a bit of a weird one because yeah, because like you mentioned, we don't know if he wants if he even wants to stay at the club. 
Uh, I mean, although if he does leave, you'd ask, you know, where, where would he leave to? Uh, uh, it's it's a very difficult question to answer, unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately, and um, with uh, with all the the reports and kind of like counter reports that are coming out uh, coming about it, I would say that uh, I would I would say right now, just on the basis of it being a new season, uh, I would automatically say that uh, he he's the first on the chopping block. Uh, although you know, if if if, any, if anyone has. Uh, yeah, if anyone has to be has to be put on there, he he would he would be a likely candidate. But I think he'll be given a bit of time, uh, at the very least uh, uh, until uh, until January, and then the, the owners will probably reassess uh, his situation. And I'm sure that uh, he himself will reassess the situation. Well, we won't go any further on Fiorentina because, as always, we want to end our podcast on a happy note. We talk about them any further. I think things. I fear things may become quite depressing. So we want to end it on a hearty note. Joe Hearty note. That's right. I used that joke, Nick. <laughs> You're not staying in. And what we will do is we'll go through our usual weekly roundups of all the fixtures. So of course this is match week seven, where Pascal lost two 0 to Kiev. Udinese lost three 0 to Lazio. Another three 0 fixture, which where Juventus were playing away to Empoli. He scored three goals in just five minutes. Higuain scoring a double, Indibala coming back and scoring a goal himself. There's been lots of talk as to whether he's struggling so far this season, whether struggling might be a far fetch. He certainly hasn't grabbed as many goals as some people may have expected of him so far. Atalanta did, of course, beat Napoli 1 0. Meanwhile, Bologna lost 1 0 to Genoa at home. There's an interesting read. You can go and see it at ForceItalianFootball.com, written by Marco Jackson. It's one of our features that is on the website. And it's called The Blues, The Reds and The Black Shirts, Italian Football's Greatest Theft. And it's all about how when Genoa and Bologna met almost some 91 years ago in what was one of the most fractious meetings of any Italian championships. It's definitely worth your time, definitely worth a read. This weekend, there weren't quite the same stakes in the match. However, it was just as fiery. There were three red cards. Gentiletti picking up a red card in the 85th minute, followed by Gemma Eileen in the 87th. And even before that, even in the first half, Gastadello picking up a second yellow card for the home side, obviously making things difficult from early on. Meanwhile, Calori, newly promoted side, beat their fellow promoted side, Crotone 2-1. While Sampdoria drew 1-0 at home to Palermo, Inter lost 2-1 to Roma, while the final two fixtures were with Milan beat the Swallow 4-3 and Torino beat Fiorentina 2-1. All games that we have talked about. That does bring us to the end of a podcast. We were hoping to have Mr. James Horncastle on this one, though unfortunately he wasn't able to join us this time. Hopefully we can get him back soon enough. And so we thank all of you for listening to us, and I thank Olgo and Nick for staying through this night, despite all the difficulties we may have faced. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me this evening to talk about Syria. No worries. It's an absolute pleasure. And we all hope to see you next time. Ciao for now. You have been listening to the Italian Football Fancast.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 